0: Hey, what's up everybody welcome back to the show got a great episode today Anya Cates is on the show she's uh, become a good friend of mine recently uh we met and hung out in Denver and uh she's got a great podcast called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World that some of you may have heard I was on episode 31 entitled Waking Up to Ourselves in the World with Mike Adelic Brancatelli and uh you can check that out by going to Apple Podcasts where her podcast is, or everywhere that podcasts are found. And uh, it's it's great. She's really kind of honed in this this mission, this mantra, this purpose, this vision. Uh, you know, looking at our generation, you know this this generation of the second largest, or we might be the largest now, generation since the baby boomers, but definitely the children of the boomers. Myself. And Anya being more towards the higher end of the spectrum and then, you know, people like uh, who are in there, you know, maybe around 23, 24 uh, at the lower end of the spectrum. And then those Generation Zers, I don't know what we're going to do with you guys, but it's up to us. We are, we are starting to... Emerge into higher positions in the world and in the workforce and in the economy and the society and the culture. you know hopefully, what I am creating here with this show and what Anya is creating with her show is is uh, able to kind of leave a mark and make a mark in a cultural way, reach out, touch people, and have conversations that we 're not hearing at you know anywhere else <clears throat> and so I want to actually just read her her podcast. Uh, description, because I think it's pretty cool, and you can get a good idea of, of what her show is all about. Of course, we talk about it in the show, but she says, this podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story, one of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. I just love that, you know. I mean that's 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 been a lesson that I've been learning in my life as I've been doing plant medicine work and healing work, you know, that it, it, it's the this sort of and 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 all these like you know articles coming out. I remember like you know even five years ago, the millennial generation are they, are they lazy? Are they entitled? They don't want to work. Like you know they're complaining a lot. You know all this stuff. People of course everybody likes to project onto other people and say, oh look at what they're doing. It Doesn't matter if it's individuals and relationships and friendships. If you're a part of a corporation, a company, a society, a government, whatever it is. There's always a level of projection that happens to kick the can down the road, put it on someone else, blame somebody else for it, and, you know, look at, these, the, look at these new millennials and their wacky ideas. They're radical. They want to shake things up. Oh, it looks like millennials don't want to buy homes, isn't that? They're changing the economy. It's scary. Oh, you know, millennials aren't doing this or that. They're not having kids. They're not settling down. The world's gonna end. We're all gonna die. It's all terrible. Nothing, everything that we know, right? Everything that, that this generation above us, the generations above us, everything they fear, everything that they judge, everything that they look at is just a challenge to the world they've become so familiar with. And when you, be, be, when you become familiar with a, with a world, even if it's not healthy, you have a certain allegiance to that world because it provides you with a certain level of comfort, you know? There's a certain level of, of comfort that comes from the familiarity of, your, of what you have always known, even if it's not serving you anymore, even if it's something that is detrimental. You will hear people defend things like that all the time. People defend that kind of stuff all the time. And it's, a, it's an ideological blanket that we kind of smother ourselves in. You know, talking with Daniel Pinchbeck and, and Chris Ryan and I'm um, going to have Charles Eisenstein on the show recently. I've been listening a lot to this guy, Daniel Schmachtenberger, which is a great name. And uh, he talks, I think he has a blog called uh, Civilization Emerging. We've been really moving more into this kind of civilizational level thinking and uh, emergent properties and uh, looking at things in terms of organisms and uh, collective units and bodies of voluntary and spontaneous congregation organization or organization and expression and it's really quite something to see because a lot of the old ideas that we've had don't really serve us anymore we are entering into a new story but it's also a familiar one too. it's also a, a, a an uh an old story as well you know it's 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 this sort of archaic revival this sort of like coming back to our roots using this the lessons and the technology and the progression that we've made and that we've advanced with in this world and You know, Pinchback talked about this in his book, How Soon Is Now, in 2017. And the reason why I loved it so much is because he, as when he identified that we're sort of unconsciously willing catastrophe into our lives to wake us up. And I think that really is what's going on. I think we do it in our lives. I think everybody does it, right? I think basically human nature is to do the least amount of work, to do the least amount of output to get the most amount. Of results. So, you know, if we're not being forced to work, if we're not being forced to produce something or to do something, we're most likely not going to do it. We're going to always opt for the easier way. And you could be saying, oh, not me. I, you know, I get up and I run seven miles and I do the New York Times crossword puzzle and the Sudoku. And then I, you know, drink a kale shake and, you know, I do a hundred push-ups, and I stand on a rock with one foot looking at the sunrise, whatever. Good for you. But there's most people, I'd say the majority of people don't wake up until faced with catastrophe. You know, sometimes it takes catastrophe to jolt us awake, to see things in a new light, or to evolve to a higher state of being. Sometimes it takes this tremendous hero's journey, shouting from the bottom of a a cave, saying, "'Are you going to walk this path, or will I shake the ground beneath you and crumble you to your demise?' And we're like, well, what are we going to do? Will we go with the familiar, comfortable path and just say, okay, well, I guess it's good for now. I'll just kind of hold on and hang on. Or are we going to accept the challenge and try and uh, purposefully and intentionally, respectfully, and in a, in a really graceful way, evolve to a higher state of being? And I believe that that is capable. And I think it's unprecedented because of the time that we live in right now with the internet. But I also know human beings, I know history, and I know how I behave in my life. I usually wait until shit hits the fan, and then I'm like, oh shit, I didn't see that. You know, we, we see it unfold throughout history, in our collective and personal histories, our individual lives, but in, in the story that we tell, that we call history. You know, when devastation occurs, like the likes of Pearl Harbor, 9-11, Katrina, you know, these are all times when the majority of us get kicked in the head and we kind of come online. We're forced to look. We're forced to pay attention. We're forced to, to see things in a different way. We're thrust into a whole new paradigm of being. You know, we're forced to either elevate and evolve or die disintegrate crumble and obliterate right we're either going to evolve to a higher state of consciousness collectively on a planetary level or we're going to blow ourselves up we're going to destroy ourselves we're going to pollute the oceans we're going to we're already on that track you know we're on it if you look at the macro and you zoom it down to the micro to the individual we we who's doing it is it the individuals that are feeding the collective is it the collective that's feeding the you know the systems that are feeding the the individuals i think it's a little bit of both right because we have you know if we look at the great uh societies i would say or the great uh <clears throat> communities tribes they they are uh, they sort of understood that it takes a certain kind of leadership a certain kind of wise old elder to guide to be there to guide to encourage to show the way to lead by example to have a, a sort of detached perspective looking at the society with fresh eyes from a mountaintop above the outsider as alan watts talks about the one on the fringes on the edge to inform the society to be there the court jester the joker the one that informs the king of his follies, the only one that can speak the truth. We've sort of kind of cut this out of our mainstream Western world. We don't really have these sorts of things and we don't really have rites of passage. So, therefore, the citizens, uh, the people are sort of lost and they're trying to make up their own stories. Some people are making up good ones. Some people are just going with the flow and feeding into what's being sold to them. But either way, we find ourselves on a track where we're faced with catastrophe. And in your personal life, you know, in my personal life, sometimes it takes catastrophe. Sometimes it takes, you know, a 9-11 to just wake me up and jolt me out of my sleep and say, oh my God, I didn't even realize I was doing this, this, and that. I didn't even see that. But now because of this Event, whatever it is, you lose a job or a relationship, you know, um, uh, an apartment, a friendship, a car, whatever, something that you had goes away, some, you know, you got robbed or whatever. Any, any of these major events that can happen. <clears throat> really, if we think about those moments and we reflect on them, the most of us, when something major like that happens and we lose a loved one or something, that we're really forced to reflect and really forced to think about what's going on. You know, you you oftentimes hear people talk about, yeah, I got in this terrible, you know, accident. I was skiing, you know, I hit a tree, my legs were broken. I, I got rushed to the hospital. They thought I was going to die, you know, and then you see how that person recovered and they made it out. And now their story is one of like, they're living every day to the fullest. They're taking full advantage of everything that life has to offer because they, they, they were faced with the end. They were faced with doom, peril, demise. They were faced with death, tragedy, non-existence, everything that they ever knew was going to go away, and it forced them to change their perspective. So many times, you know, these events in our world, uh, they, they, they will challenge us. They will question us. Uh, they will ask us questions. You know, they will say, hey, is this true? Question the nature of your your reality. They may present an opportunity for us to examine the narrative structure of the story that we thought we knew. You know, now we we, we have to be able to to hold this information though, right? Like that's one of the things and what I'm getting at with the people that are Critical of other people, the millennials, you're lazy or you're doing this, or I'm triggered and you have to respect my space. And, you know, yeah, there might be elements of truth to all these things. It might not be so black and white, like Anya says in her podcast description. And I don't think it is. I think that we really need to inject more nuance. We really need to be able to hold the power of paradox in our minds. It takes a lot of cognitive energy to do that. But if you can see other people's perspectives, if you can hold Hold paradox in your mind and split the differences between them. Just examine, uh, you know, but be prepared for, challenge your, your sacred cows, so to speak. You know, as, as Jamie Wheel was saying, I was listening to him talking about this, like, cha- be prepared to, to challenge your sacred cows. You know, the, the sense-making and the beliefs that we take for granted and assume them to be a, found, you know, a, a fundamental or foundational given just as we assume them to be true, right? So it's like, hey, like the universe is unfolding the way it is, everything is perfect and some, you know, everything is perfect and everything is, is peaceful and loving and great. And it's, it's the way that it's supposed to be, even the darkness in the world, it's all in perfect harmony. And this is playing out as a perfect story. Challenge that notion. You know, hey, psychedelics are great tools for healing and, you know, could really benefit a lot of people and, uh, you know, the world could be a better place if just everybody had access to psychedelics. I mean, okay, let's challenge that one too, right? Hey, you know, the non-aggression principle, it's a pretty good moral philosophy, right? No one should initiate aggression on anybody else. You know, you should be able to uh, have your... Your your property should be safe, you know, no one should steal, no one should for, should hurt you. Okay, let's examine that. People have been examining these things for thousands and thousands of years, and we have a tendency in our American culture to just rest on the pinnacle of an idea that we think is a pinnacle of an idea, but it's not. Because we're lazy, and human beings want to do the least amount of work and get the most out of it, and you don't want to challenge the status quo, especially in the scientific paradigm, because people have put in their work and their time, and they've come up with their theories, and they've got money invested in this, and they've got reputation on the line, and they're not going to go back and start altering their, their papers and their books and saying, hey, looks like I was wrong. Oftentimes, it doesn't. Rupert Sheldrake talks about this in The Science Delusion or science set free, as it's called in the American version. But we have, to, we have to be able to look at the things that we hold to be true the most. You know, hey, I'm a good, I'm a good person, right? Are you? Let's examine it. Examine all of it. Hey, I believe in f- open trade and free market democracy. I think that's, that's the height of uh, success, and, and that's the height of evolution. Is it? You know, uh, I forget who said this. I think Graham Hancock says like, you know, science tends to act like we have, well, where we're at right now in the world, we have about 99% of everything figured out. And we're just kind of looking to fill in that 1%, you know, missing piece. I think it's completely the opposite. I think we got like 1% down and we're, there's like 99% that we need to figure out but we all do this you know and, and we do it because we're unwilling to challenge our most sacred core beliefs the most sacred ways the most intense personal ways in which we really see the world what do we really believe what is the 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 sense making structures and the beliefs that we just assume to be true and that we are unwilling and un, unwilling to shake and unwilling to have being poked at you know and inspected And there's traps along this path too. There's traps of spiritual bypassing, right? Just using spirituality as an escape from all the problems, using spirituality as a, as a checkout, you know, using psychedelics as a checkout, spiritual materialism, you know, running around the world, collecting spiritual experiences and psychedelic experiences and, and yogic experiences and altered state experiences, and just collecting them to like ornaments to put on your shelves so that you could talk about the one time that you had a profound experience and you saw God and you talked to God you know, the implementation of the practice of the journey, the nuance, the gray, the the willingness to accept the darkness and the light and hold it both together at the same time, because there's a third thing there. There's lots of things there. We have to be able to look at these these traps that are laid out along our path and say, let's not get sucked into social media all day. Let's not binge watch Netflix all day. Let's try and address some of the larger problems in our lives and in the world. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit harder to compost, but maybe you know, you start doing it and it's fun and you learn about it. And then other people do it. You know, I I got a squatty potty and I heard about that a while ago. Someone had one. I was like, this is great. Ordered one, got it. It's better for me. Right. This is on a small scale, but there's a lot of these things that we could do. You know, you might have someone that would say, Hey, you have a squatty potty. And they're like, Oh, that's bullshit. I'm not using that. Was it millennial trash or stupid thing? Just go on the damn toilets sit and and shut up. You know, there's a lot of people in this country like that. They just have their beliefs. This is the way it is. That's the way it's going to be done. But if you're open, if you're open to exploring, you, can, you start to open new doors. Life becomes richer, more novel, more diverse, more interesting. And the, the, what can come out of that? Who knows? But we must be willing to accept the dismantling of all of our sacred you know, preconceptions and little stories and narratives that make us feel comfortable make us too comfortable, you know, like a real comfy, heavy blanket that's just suffocating us. We have to have the ability to, to hold really unstable possibilities, destabilizing ideas that are just unsettling and, and even, you know, simultaneously contradictory at times. And and look at what are we projecting? What are we aware of? What beliefs and sense-making structures are we willing to deeply question, perform surgery on? And we all have them. So, you know, we are the kings of our own kingdoms. And sometimes it takes the people rising up and marching up to our doors in protest with demands for change. But, you know, what what could we do to prevent it? You know, what, what could we what could we do to actually actively work in a way to administer Preventative ideas, preventative solutions. Sometimes, maybe we, maybe some of us are being called on this journey and being challenged to go down this path, so that we can come up with those ways. Who knows? But I think we're going to find out today in this wonderful conversation with my amazing new friend Anya Cates. I, I think she's such a, a wonderful person, and uh, and I love hanging out with her and and having her on the show. And she's just doing really great things, as you guys will hear. Anyway. That's it. Uh, check out Navigating Psychedelics by Psychedelics Today. Uh, all the links for stuff will be in the, in the show notes. Um, Going to be super excited to have uh, this new sponsor uh, on the show, uh, Brew Doctor Kombucha. They're just really dope. And I love their stuff. So, uh, totally psyched to be bringing them on and we'll talk about that a little bit more and, uh, go to hemp bombs, get CBD sent anywhere in the country. They have uh, hemp derived CBD products that are really great. I, I, I like the gummies. They definitely help me sleep. And, um, Synchro offers plant-based and keto nutrition products. So go check that out. The links will be down in the show notes as well. Uh, You get 20% off when you enter the code Mikeadelic for synchro and you get 15% off when you enter the code in hemp bombs. It's Mike 15 and all that information is in the show notes. Uh, But also, I like that you guys are fans of the show and that you just want to support what you love. And, you know, I love the idea of of the sharing economy and the gift economy and the fund what you love thing. And, you know, I, I think that I really want to sort of try and do different things with the show to try and get it to be at a place where everybody feels like it's it's good and and you know that you want to uh, if you want to support it you can anyway whatever i got a patreon page so just check that out too if you got a couple bucks hanging around and you want to send them to my way send them my way. It's, it's it's amazing. I love that help and support that I get from everybody that does that. So go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. That's B-R-A-N-C. You can donate as little as a dollar, two, three dollars, whatever it is. Alternatively, if you just want to make a one-time donation, I got a PayPal. Just go on my website, mikebrank.com and you go to PayPal. This show is 100% done by me, nobody else. And I've been doing it this way for three years and I want to keep doing it this way. So if you like what you hear, do that. If you just uh, want to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review, that's another huge way to that gets people's attention, that helps the show grow, that it shows up higher in the algorithms, people are able to see it, and uh, and then we're able to have just better conversations. I have so many big Ideas and big plans for this show, and I just don't have the resources to carry them out all right now. And I, I, I just, I see a lot of cool things happening. I want you guys to experience just this wave of coolness to, that's going to be shooting out of my third eye into this show and and beaming it with like a rainbow-colored fractal geometric pattern, honeycomb breathing web of psychedelic gooey goodness to just get this thing to be where I want it to be in a creative way, you know, with guests, with uh, clips and artwork and music and all kinds. of. I want this to be a really full 360 degree experience for for people listening. So that's where I want to go with it. Check all that stuff out. Follow me on Instagram, Mikeadelic underscore podcast. And of course, follow our guest Anya and all of her stuff will be in there. Without further ado, let's get in the conversation. Thank you very much. Enjoy. Psychedelics are illegal, not because... A loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Or is it perception? Information
1: is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity.
0: Well, uh, Anya Cates, thank you so much for coming to Mikeadelic Studios here in this, you know, uh, beautiful Denver day. Nice and sunny out.
1: Thank you. Super profesh.
0: <laughs> Super profesh. <laughs> such, a, such a melen <laughs> thing to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's just do that the whole time. Not.
0: Well, I'm just like... So psyched to, to sit down and, and speak with you, and I hope that we can have like a, you know, just like a cool, free-flowing, open conversation. I listened to about half of the first episode of your podcast, A Millennial's Guide
1: to Saving the World. To
0: Saving the World. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. Love the intro. I love what you were talking about. Like, I resonate with it so much, and I think we talked about this um, when we did your show when I was on, and... I thought about that I was like was I good on that like because I just did Chris at Chris's show and I felt like I had kind of like went so far and talked about so many things that by the time we had like 10 minutes in between I was like I had maybe like podcast fatigue so I hope I was good
1: it was awesome it was good yeah. okay cool Yeah,
0: I'm always a nervous wreck and just like
1: it you was know, fine yeah
0: okay cool <laughs> Um, but yeah, anyway, so we, we spoke about some of these things and like how we have these similarities and stuff. And and I was wondering maybe if you would just kind of share a little bit. So, uh, of your story, I'll kind of lead in with the fact that we're both randomly from the same town or one town over in New York. We both kind of found, uh, Chris Ryan and tangentially speaking and his book, his work and, and felt kind of attracted to that and those ideas and you are a millennial, and I am a millennial, and we're part of this generation. And we both kind of feel the need to make an impact and share and communicate in a way that's authentic and unique to discover these ideas that are going around. And, yeah, um, maybe I'll stop, you know, <laughs> stammering on about this and let you give a little bit of, uh, of your story, your journey, and what led you to this.
1: Yeah, man, my story. Um... It's interesting, I feel like growing up I lived like both a very conventional and unconventional life. I grew up in suburbia outside of Manhattan, um, had a pretty... I switched schools some, went to private school, went to public school. Um, and on the surface, I, I talk about this a lot, um, like on the surface what my life was was very different from what it was behind the scenes. Um, so I think probably one of the the biggest uh, self defining moments um, or just situations in my life is that my dad is gay, uh, and knew that prior to being married to my mom. It's like an interesting way that that kind of worked out.
0: But he he knew that, or yeah. So or, and she knew that too.
1: Yeah. So um, it was my dad was in his early twenties and living in New York in the early '80s, mm-hmm. and. Um I actually had him on the podcast. It was probably one of my favorite episodes that I did. Oh, great. And what that, what uh, episode is that? Do you, you remember the number? 21. Okay, yeah. cool. It's called the Rod and Anya show. Um, okay,
0: his name's Rod.
1: Yeah. Roderick. <laughs> Ooh. You don't really hear
0: that name too much <laughs> no, anymore. That's a good all. name. Yeah. Nice.
1: It is a good name. Um yeah, so he was um in his early 20s living in New York in the early 80s. He kind of left home at a young age. His parents were pretty cool. Um, He was working in theater. So like everything around him was pretty confusing and hectic at that time. Um, What he really wanted more than anything was to find uh, intimate, romantic, um, like emotionally intimate relationship with someone. And he couldn't find that with guys who were gay in their early 20s. And he was frustrated because he's like, I feel like this is who I am, but like, I want a partner and I can't find a partner. And not only that, but people were dying all over the place. So it was sort of this weird, like uh,
0: it, you're referring to like the eighties AIDS, AIDS epidemic yeah. and that whole crisis. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it was before anybody really knew what was going on. It was just like scary time, gay men yeah. are dying. Yeah. Right. So he sort of felt validated and like, maybe that's not the best idea. Um, and I think similar to how, in a way that we all do this, or at least a lot of us in our early twenties, especially is we think that we can't have it all. Right. Like, I didn't think I could have uh, an intimate relationship and explore non-monogamy, so I, like, made a choice. And for him, he didn't think he could be gay and have an emotionally intimate relationship, so he chose one over the other. Um, And he knew my mom. They'd been friends. Um, I think at the time my dad thought he was bisexual. And, uh, yeah, they were together on and off. And then finally, like, I think at least the way they've (laughs) told it uh, a couple times is, like, hey, if... Nothing ever works out for us. Let's just get married and have kids. Um, my mom was 10 years older. Um, and yeah, that's basically what happened. They got married and they had kids. And um, a few years after having me, right around the time they had my brother, my dad finally was like, Mm-mm, like I'm gay. I can't do it. Um, so they got divorced, but I didn't find out he was gay until five years after that um after he was in a long term like he was in a 10-year relationship with a guy pretty soon after they got divorced yeah And it was this very like crazy moment for me of this was now the mid 90s the year I found out he was gay was the year Matthew Shepard was killed which is this young kid who was like tied to a fence in Wyoming and a lot of gay rights legislation was created because of that um very different time than now and uh My parents had decided they'd tell me and my brother when we asked. And through a very strange series of events, I finally asked at age 10. And this was after, like, my dad lived with a guy. I saw him holding hands with a guy, kissing a guy. He was just my dad's friend. Um, Anyway, so I was talking to my mom, and I was like, you know, but dad holds hands with Sean. That doesn't mean he's gay, does it? My mom's like, well, actually, he is gay. Um, And I had this moment at 10 where, and like he lived around the corner. My parents were pretty cordial and she's like, I'm going to have him come over. And I said, no, because I knew gay was bad. I didn't really understand what it was, but I thought I knew it was bad. And I was like, there's something I've missed this whole time. My dad's going to walk in. He's going to be a monster. He's going to have like horns or like, like I missed it. Like he's a terrible person. Anyway, he walks in. He's the same dude that I loved. I was really close to him. And so I had this moment of like, okay, hold on. So gay is bad, but my dad is gay and my dad's not bad. So like, that's bullshit. And what else is bullshit?
0: Oh, Um, interesting.
1: yeah. Yeah. So I would say from then on, I questioned everything. I think first sort of subconsciously and then consciously, um, learned what like a social construction was and studied gender and sexuality in school and um, and then interestingly I think sort of similar to my dad in my early 20s made a similar decision of <laughs> thinking like well I don't really know what to do with my degree and I don't know how to live this life and uh, I think I know who I am but I don't feel like there's a place for me in this world and life is about sacrifice um, so I Got married, lived a really conventional life, bought a house in San Diego, um, and in my late twenties, through another sort of series of events, be, like sort of like violently exited my life, um, which catapulted what, what me. What violently? Oh, you. you I like exited my exited life. Your yeah, life. yeah. So, got divorced. I moved out of my house. Um, moved in with my mom. That was fascinating. I had all these health issues, like. I basically just really wanted to figure out what the hell was going on. Like why'd I chosen the relationships I'd chosen and where I went, right? Like where my authenticity went and delving through lots of childhood stuff and codependency stuff and basically um, isolated myself in an apartment in Topanga for a couple of years to figure it out and like read a lot and spent a lot of time alone and cried a lot. Um, and I, I say reinvented myself, but I don't think that's what I did. I think I was just like shedding inauthentic an inauthentic skin and got back to who I actually was.
0: Yeah. We kind of talked about this the other night when we were walking to the restaurant and you were sharing this and back to your father in that instance, I'm just, it's making me think about, cause you had explained how you really have this kind of unique perspective now because you've been through sort of a unique situation and the situation that you went through it was kind of a cordial, right. And like uniquely respectfully designed situation between consenting adults and everybody in there. And, and it was sort of amiable and not what society would deem to be the kind of situational outcome. Like, Oh, this is the case. What a horrific tragedy. And that wasn't really the case. So that kind of helped move you into a different way of looking at things. But then you found yourself also in this in this situation where you were involved with things that weren't really serving you or where you weren't being authentic. And I think you shared a little bit about that. I was wondering maybe if you could share a little bit again as to what that was because I think we were talking also about generally this happens a lot uh, maybe to young girls too where they get involved in something. Um, and I think you could say it better than, than yeah. I can. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I... I was, I was very, I was pretty naive to just like the inner workings of my own (laughs) choices and patterns, which I think we all are up until a certain point. Um, so I had a a pretty challenging relationship with my mom growing up. Um, again, one of those things that looked okay on the outside, but was like very sort of toxic and dramatic on the inside. Um, very codependent. I learned what I learned was love was very transactional. Like, if I do this for you, you do this for me. It was very emotionally absent. Um, So lots of like, well, you get, you know, here's a gift or like you go to camp, so therefore you are loved. Um, And, but I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know it was wrong or different or problematic. Um, And so I ended up basically creating mimicking that type of relationship in my romantic life. My dad I had a different relationship with, um, but I lived predominantly with my mom. My mom's the female, I think, so in uh I think I was more inclined to kind of like replicate her behaviors than I was my dad's. Um right. so yeah, I, I think that's where it started was that I was pretty desperate to like merge with somebody. Um and that happened for me in romantic relationships. I was in a relationship from 16 to 22 and then only left it because I met the guy ended up marrying and was with him from 22 to like 27 and then decided to leave my marriage because I had met someone else (laughs) and that was the beginning of like hmm Anya okay like this is a pattern you've also never been single. It's
0: amazing that you're able to recognize that though. Because a lot of people don't get to that point of recognition. What, what do you think it was that helped you come to that realization?
1: Well, I think, you know, and in all these situations, in those relationships, they should have ended much prior than they did. Right. Like I wasn't happy. I was basically just I wanted the relationship so bad that I was willing to sacrifice a lot of my own identity. Um, so, oh, you want that? Does that mean we get to stay together? Cool, I'll sacrifice this and this and this to where I became like a shell of a person. And in the last situation, the person I met was really fucking cool and I really respected him and I was really like excited about my life and my future. And I remember like driving, I was living in San Diego and I kept going up to LA to spend time up there because I had friends there and my mom had lived there and I remember driving from San Diego once, I, it was just like a bad situation with my ex. I pretty much told him right away, like, I want a divorce. This hasn't been working for a long time. Which he knew. <laughs> it was, there was lots of crap that went down. Um, but anyway, I was driving from San Diego to LA and I remember thinking to myself, I don't feel any grief about the ending of my marriage. And that seems like a problem. Like, I'm not a cruel human. I know there were issues in this relationship. But this is someone who I loved, someone who I still love in many ways. Someone who I, you know, really didn't want to give up on. Someone who I spent, you know, we were for years in therapy. We moved across the country together. You know, we'd overcome, um, like, betrayals and all this kind of stuff. I was super committed to it. And yet, in this sort of, like, distraction, right... I wasn't feeling anything. And that just kind of bothered me. <laughs> um and I I don't know. I it's hard. It was it was so many different things. Um but that was the first sort of realization and then I think moving in with my mom um also was really eye-opening to me because I think when I decided like there's something wrong here, I thought like there must be patterns and processes that aren't super healthy and then starting to figure out if that's the case, then those must have come from somewhere and kind of like reverting to my childhood and going back to live with my mom was, it was hard to ignore. Let's just say that. Well, I,
0: that's, yeah, it's, I I had that happen to me. And I think this is like a common sort of trope with our millennial generation. I'll see articles that say like, 30% you know 30% of you know people under 30 are now moving with in back in with their parents and things like that it's like oh this generation sucks look at them but i remember when that happened to me and i think what you're alluding to with moving back in with your mom and being kind of face to face with that you know there was this sort of imprinting that happened with you with her and relationships and the mimicking and playing those out you know in your life not really realizing it in a conscious way. And I had a very similar thing. So when I had to go back to my parents' house, after leaving at 18 years old and being out on my own and at 31 having to move in back with my parents, it was like so devastating. But I also had a moment where I said, maybe this is going to be healing for me. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there's something here that I need to revisit, some past wounds that need to be healed. And I totally got that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. There was a moment when things got so bad uh that my dad came out. <laughs> and so my dad I don't know why we thought this was a good idea, but my dad came out and stayed at my mom's house with me and my mom. And like I'm going through this like horrible trauma and like crying and um there was all these debates around like you know, my mom offered to have me come live with her, but then very quickly felt, I think, crowded and was like, I didn't have anywhere to go. Like, I can't go back to that house with my ex-husband who's right. not being very nice and I have nowhere else to go. And I was like dealing with all sorts of physical issues and it was just like, I barely leave the house. That was like a struggle. Yeah. Um, what
0: what kind of physical issues um, were you? Lots were
1: you of doing? just like, I mean, everything, digestive issues, hormonal issues. You know, I, we were, I was talking to someone last night, um, You know, I I think I had sort of lingering moderate health issues since I was a baby, which I'm now quite clear were the result of the, you know, mental and emotional space that I was in. Um, And I think I was, you know, I was one of those people, um, there's this great book called Drama of the Gifted Child by Alice Miller. And she likens depression to what she calls grandiosity. So that like there are people that, do one of two different things in order to escape their problems they either get depressed and shut down and don't do anything or they overcompensate so they're like you know they're constantly busy and working and performing and like that's like but look everything's fine and I definitely fit into that boat and I think I was able to kind of just push everything down by constantly like overperforming and working really hard and doing all these activities. and um, Yeah, because
0: if it looks good from the outside, then it must be good.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, she says this really great thing in the book, which I only read after having this experience, is, like, what happened to me was, like, I became incapacitated. I couldn't work. I couldn't, like, work out. I couldn't pretend like I was okay because I wasn't. And with the absence of that, uh, like, I was forced to be like, who the fuck am I if I'm... You know, if if I'm not, if I can't be defined by those sort of like performative things, like, who am I and do I like myself? I remember asking myself like, Anya, if you had one arm, would you still love yourself? And the answer was like, not at all. And I was like, that's a problem. Like, would you still love yourself if you couldn't do blah, blah, blah? No. Okay, that's a problem. (laughs) So like, I have to redefine this. And so I think when I was able to, or not was able to, I was forced to just like do nothing that I think, like, all of that toxicity in my body was free to kind of come out. It wow. was like, you have the space in your life now to handle this. And thank goodness I worked for myself, so I didn't have to go into a job. I was able to kind of, like, moderate the amount of work I was doing, so I didn't have to even work that much. Um, and I just retreated and... um knew that the physical stuff I was going through was just a manifestation of the emotional stuff like I it was funny too I did like a parasite cleanse at the time Mm. which was a dumb choice (laughs) in terms of timing but I did this and like I had this it was so much felt like I was like I'm like eliminating parasites from my whole life and my body right it was like the mirroring of physical and emotional stuff yeah um well that yeah
0: that's (laughs) that's a big thing and and something that i've been getting into more recently because i've always been so focused about the mind the mind like it's everything it's our you know our psyche and all this stuff but recently i've been going to these ketamine therapy sessions where they take a somatic based approach it's more about how the energy and the emotions and the tension uh and like the dis ease of what's going on in our body manifests into all of these Issues, right? So we have like the nervous system, and the nervous system functions in in terms of like you know you're at baseline, and there's no threats and there's no worries. But then you go up in and down into this like fight or flight mode until you really go down into this numb kind of like totally void space, which can be really hard to to get back out of. But uh, the fact that you're having these health issues or or body issues rather, uh, that, that, that's actually something that's informing you oh, of something sure. that's going on.
1: Yeah. And it always was. And I think honestly, that's why it took so long for them to go away because I recognized how informative they were. And like, I had done every test and taken every supplement and like, I would be on the same protocol and be okay. And then something stressful would happen in my life and all the problems would come back, but yet the supplements and the protocol I was taking didn't change. And at one point, relatively recently actually, like seven, eight months ago, I decided to stop every single supplement, like everything, um, to sort of test this theory around like how much of my health is emotionally based, and I'm pretty sure at this point it's like 95%. Um, which was empowering, you know, like I'm not going to try and cover up and, and that's what's sort of interesting about all of this too. I, another weird similarity we have is that we both worked in marketing, um, and I was working for natural products companies, uh, until maybe 25 or so. And then I quit my in-house job and, uh, consulted for a couple of brands, but I also had a health and wellness blog. And, you know, I had for so long thought that all of my problems could be solved by fixing the physical stuff. Um, And so I had this whole blog that was basically about that. Like, if you eat this paleo muffin and you take these (laughs) supplements, like, all your problems will be solved. And when I realized that wasn't true, I couldn't do it anymore. So... I was just like, I'm not going to sit here and have this public-facing image and this brand and this blog that talks about all of these things that I, at this point, realize are only a fraction of the truth. Right. Um, And so that was sort of like part of the erasing or um, exiting out of my life. (laughs) I was just like, nope, not going to do that anymore. And if I'm going to have a public-facing image and I'm going to be out in the world, then it's going to be truthful and comprehensive, you know?
0: Nice. Yeah. I was just checking my phone because I was looking for this Lao Tzu quote, um, that, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, uh, well, you were, you were bringing it up on your podcast and I thought it was relevant to bring up, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I hear you, um, you know, about that because there's what you're, what you're talking about here. And the reason why I wanted to get to that was because you, you had to heal yourself, you know, you had to go through this ordeal, you know, or sort of like a rite of passage. Right. And I think that this is something that's kind of lacking in our modern times. And I think that a lot of what we've we've experienced, because you have obviously your unique story of Anya Cates, like that is your unique story. And nobody else has that story. And I have my story. But I think our stories Are connected to this moment in time and a lot of people can resonate with this because they're going through something similar maybe it's not the same exact thing but it's similar right and there's this kind of idea that I that I'm thinking of of like well our parents kind of grew up with this lie of like how life should be and how to be in the world and how relationships should be and how we should interact with the world and what we should be caring about and involved with And that's just kind of like no longer serving us anymore. So there's like a a crumbling or like problems that we just can't run away from. And a lot of people in our generation are being called to sort of shamanize for a lack of a better term. But the traditional role of a shaman is someone who is heals themselves so that they can then offer something back to the community. So I was kind of hoping maybe we could segue into what you're doing now, uh, with your podcast and sort of your, your general philosophy on life. You know, these, these ideas that you've come to, so you're not recommending paleo muffins necessarily anymore, but you have other, other things you're working on. So take me through like the evolution of, of the creation of this and these ideas and what you thought about during this process after you kind of got yourself, you know, squared away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The tagline, um, unofficial tagline for my podcast is fix yourself to fix the world. Um, and I, what I realized recently, I don't think this was totally intentional, but one thread that I realize exists through all of the conversations that I've had on my podcast is this process of, uh, deconstructing and reconstructing. Um, and I think if there's one thing that our generation, um, people in their twenties, thirties, are i think particularly good at it's being willing to do that being willing to like tear apart the madness and you know enter into an open source state and figuring out like what is programming and what's authenticity and that's horrifying and that can happen in a myriad of different ways you know um so in terms of all the ideas and the the inspiration for the podcast and what i'm doing now was you know, when I was going through all of this, I I couldn't find my voice anywhere. Um, this is an embarrassing story where I literally at one point remember remembered Googling like resources for the worst time in your life. Like, <laughs> needless to say, that did not turn up very helpful results. Um, and what I what I actually found a lot of was stuff about like mental illness, and um, at the time. There were some people who were very inclined to tell me I had mental illness, like, oh, you're grieving, like, you have feelings, like, you're ill. Um, and I just flat out rejected that. I was like, there's no way that's true. Um, so, yeah, I, I struggled in finding a support group. And I think that's part of just the bullshit society and culture that we live in, that like we have no idea what community is anymore. And had I been able to sort of, like, grieve with others who understood what I was going through I think that would have vastly changed the situation I think it would have been a lot less challenging um so I knew that in going through this that when I came out of it that I wanted to have that be that resource for at least somebody um and I think especially like you mentioned Chris Ryan I listened to his podcast and agreed with a lot of what he said. I would always joke that I was like the female version of Chris Ryan. But I was like, but where is the female version of him out in the world? Like I'm a young woman and I agree with the old white guy. Like that's gotta be unique, you know? <laughs> um and uh yeah, I, I wanted to I I thought I can't find my voice. Well that's because I'm the only one with it. So um and I started like posting it was around this whole thing started like Trump was being elected, the Me Too movement was going on. So I was sort of, like, simultaneously, and I think this is what a lot of us are going through, sort of, like, f- recognizing this parallel of, like, who the fuck am I and who I want to be and what the fuck is going on in the world and, like, what am I going to do about it and holy shit and it was so intense, that parallel. Um, and I initially started just, like, posting Facebook rants because I didn't know what else to do with all this, like, and I, would like, for so long hadn't expressed myself authentically, right? Cuz super interested in gender sexuality. Always have been. That's what I did in school, it's what I wanted to do. But when I didn't have a career in that space, I didn't know where to put all that energy. So I had it, just swallowed it. And then during this time it sort of all came out like word vomit basically. Like I've got 10 years worth of opinions to express. Um <laughs> and so I yeah, I started posting Facebook rants and a lot of them at the time were about the Me Too movement and my Critique of it, honestly, in many ways. And I was getting a ton of messages from women who weren't posting publicly, commenting publicly, but were like, hey, I don't have the balls to say what you're saying, but I totally agree with you. And I'm really appreciative that you're expressing these things. And thank you because I feel less alone. Mm, Um, And so that was a big motivator for me to be like, okay, so for whatever reason, maybe my part of my skill, gift, whatever, is that I do have the balls to say it. And I'm not. I'm. I'm afraid, but I. I'll do it anyway. Um. And I should. You know. I should. Uh. Use that and appreciate that. That's something I can do, when others might not have the privilege to do so, or the courage, or whatever it is. Um. So yeah. I. I, I started the podcast to basically have conversations that I didn't think were being had publicly. Um. Many of them having to do with um not just like topics that are taboo but like opinions about topics that are taboo and politically incorrect and i'm obsessed with paradox and nuance um and if i feel very strongly about something i sort of assume that i don't know enough about it and want to like learn more about it so that i can't figure it out (laughs) um Uh, Like, I think the answer, I think the answer is the question, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, I agree with you. Um,
0: Well, that's, that's the paradox thing is, is interesting because I, for the longest time thought, like, I was going to find an answer, like a definitive answer. And then there was some point that I came to that I realized like, oh, wow, like literally, Whatever anybody thinks can be proven by anybody else who wants to prove it. Any data, any information, you know, you can cherry pick things. You can alter statistics and make it look like this is the thing and this is the definitive truth. And... We definitely like that as human beings. We like certainty. We like stories of heroes and villains. And we like a clear, definitive enemy. And to say, that's the villain, let's all attack that person. But you're right. There is this kind of weird thing that happens where even if your intention is good, right? Like I'm I'm sure a lot of the people in the Me Too movement – their intentions are good. There's a lot of trauma there. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of, you know, wanting to correct the wrongs and create justice. And I think that I'm a big believer in, in justice. Like I, I, I strive for that, but you expressed to me the other night, it's like, look like, cause I was like, well, what is your critique? And you're like, well, it's nuanced. And this is such an important thing to be discussing. Let's have the conversation And the fact that people were messaging you privately and not publicly is very telling to where we're at in society where people aren't willing to come out of their closet, you know, but but you are and you're and that's the strength that you have to, to, to carry that torch and say, like, hey, let's have this discussion. Could we talk a little bit maybe about that? Because I think that is maybe it's still, it's still kind of a big issue, right? Is that maybe even not necessarily like hashtag me too, but this kind of paradigm that, that exists now in our culture, how, what do you see out there that's happening? And how do you try and like insert your opinions without, well, I guess it's kind of impossible to like make people freak out, but, um, in the way that you do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes comes back to personal power and personal responsibility. And I think I've learned the lesson more times than I needed to, that like, first of all, like blame and anger might be good jumping off points, but they don't actually get anywhere. And that I fully subscribe to like the Carl Jung idea about like, what you dislike most about others is what you dislike most about yourself. And I'm just, I am not willing to play a blame game right? So I agree with you. There's a lot of awful abuses of power. There's a lot of patriarchal bullshit. There's a lot of inequalities across gender, sexuality, race, all of it. I mean, this whole fucking country was founded on <laughs> genocide and bullshit. Like it's all fucked up.
0: Yeah. So C- there's, civilization yeah. itself is, is founded on that. Yeah. yeah.
1: there And there's no part of me that isn't aware of that and doesn't agree. Where I feel I disagree with people is I don't think punishing and pointing fingers is useful. So I guess in the space of, let's say, the Me Too movement, what frustrated me was that I thought often the position that women were taking relative to all of this was that of being the victim. And it was disempowering rather than empowering. And again there's it's a spectrum right so harvey weinstein versus aziz ansari like these are very different situations but taking the example of aziz ansari like yeah maybe he was a dick but like woman like you have so much power walk out say something like you weren't trying to get him to promote your career i mean to me that was very much like we can position ourselves as weak or not and i think what's less weak is to take responsibility um so i've been in relationships with people who i was very inclined to say were abusive emotionally abusive and i think they were but would they have been been able to emotionally abuse me had i not been in the fucking relationship with them like i wasn't being tied to a wall i was naive and i was scared and i was um yeah not adult enough but I was perpetuating it by staying and excusing the bad behavior. I'd break up with someone and go back with them. I would be conscious of what they were doing that was hurting me and I'd just ignore it because I didn't want to know the truth. So, I I mean even now it's like I'm in a in a process of really trying to forgive that stuff and recognize that like I can take responsibility without accepting blame and um I have power. <laughs> And, you know, I think the whole thing with sexuality, especially like I think I think women's sexuality is extremely powerful and feared by men. I think understandably so, given how powerful it is, given history. And I think what's happened is that because there was so much fear, that's where the control Took place, right? And after the agricultural revolution, um, women's roles were devalued. And so it was easier for men to sort of assume power. And through this, just sort of like societal and cultural power and fear, is how we ended up where we were. Um, But I don't think the like, to me, that's understandable. To me, it's historical. To me, it's emotional. Like, and the last thing I want to do is not give men a seat at the table or a voice, you know? Like, I want to sit down with Louis C.K. and be like, dude, let's talk about this. Like, I want to, I'm curious. I all want right. To know.
0: Yeah, sure. Let me just masturbate first. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> I get that
1: he has power. I mean, I get in trouble for all this all the time. Like, I get that he has power. I get that whole thing. But, like, those women could have also walked out of the room.
0: Well, right. And look, and look this is something that I was saying, and I feel like my voice is not it's not good because I'm a straight white man. And yeah. so it's like, fuck you, whatever you say it doesn't matter. But I try and shed all of those, you know, the things that I just happen to be and just kind of communicate from my heart and how I see things from maybe like a soul level. And it's like, look, we're all human beings here. We all have the same life force inside of us and we're all like autonomous and can make our own decisions. And I'm like... Yeah, why can't you just say no? And and then people will say, Well, because it's hard. You don't understand the situation. And I'm like, Well, but you're creating yourself to be a victim. Like stand in your stand in your power, like stand up and 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 say the things, you know? Because as as a man, I want a woman to be like, no, I don't want that. This is what I want. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I think a lot of men do, because a lot of times we find ourselves in situations where maybe we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing or that's wrong and we don't know it because no one's saying anything and then we're just like oh okay like i guess this is okay and it's it's a very valuable voice because women are extremely powerful and so yeah what what i'm wondering like you know i consider you to be an empowered woman and so it, what is what what does that look like to you what's your um idea of of an empowered woman or an empowered woman in a relationship you know, and how, how that looks to you?
1: I mean, I think a lot of it's just like self-awareness and honesty. Um, You know, and I think, and this is like, again, like going into like the most taboo opinions, but like take sexuality, for example, (laughs) you know, I'm, I, I, I don't condone abuse at all. However, like if I'm going to like put on like a sexy outfit and I'm like a curvaceous woman and I'm going to and some guy is hitting on me or compliments me on how I look for me to th- think that that's offensive or uncalled for to me is bizarre. Like I I think I can be intelligent, I can be brave, I can be powerful and I can be sexy. Like, it's not... We can have it all. Like, we don't have to... You know, I was always like... I would walk down the street and I would get catcalled. And I was like, am I the only woman that's like kind of into this? Like, and not offended? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and again, like, nuance, people, right? If someone were to come up and... You're
0: you're taking it lightly though, right? Yeah,
1: well, I, I just... Like yeah, I'm I'm sexy, and I think if I were a guy, I'd think I was sexy too. And you go to Europe, I mean, especially like Spain, these things are not right. These are not norms. These are culturally created situations, right? right. And I think that was the other thing. I lived in in Paris, in France, when I was twelve. I studied gender and sexuality, which meant that I was reading about these things cross culturally, right? And like being gay is a is a definition and a label and a box that we've created but go somewhere else and like you're only gay if you're being penetrated not if you're the penetrator you know so it's like if if everything is I just... am
0: the penetrator
1: <laughs> and and that was fascinating to me and freeing right like if if I can and this is what I try to encourage on my podcast too like if we can be brave and strong and aware enough to deconstruct the societal and cultural bullshit and we truly feel like okay if none of that matters and i can literally do and be whatever i want to do and be what would that look like you know like if you could tear it all down and start again what would it look like and in that version of reality for me some guy being like hey sexy is not offensive i would do it too you know and right. and i think part of this to be fair is a unique position that I have as a woman, and we talked about this the other night, is that the main man in my life, my dad, my main um, example of masculinity was extremely healthy. And so this was someone who defied a shit ton of odds, who did his very best to live authentically, was very brave. I mean, the whole situation and leaving home young and then divorcing my mom, like time and time again, he's done things that are like super fucking powerful and manly. But he's also extremely vulnerable and cries and expresses his emotions and encourages me to do that too. So I think where I might be unique in this and able to see things from both sides is because I don't have the animosity toward um, masculinity or toward men, as I think a lot of people understandably do. Right, I probably yeah. have more animosity toward femininity and womanhood just because of my upbringing. Sure,
0: um, I'm sure you'd agree with me too when we're we're talking about this in in this nuanced way, having a real discussion about this. I I don't think like it's not something that I would condone like, oh, yeah, just go out, just yell at women, just say whatever. You know, I think there's something that men have to learn, too, in kind of an appropriate way of communicating and what's like, you know, uh, what's like offensive or what's over the line and what's not. But also this kind of like malleable area that we can both come together and say like, Hey, yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. But like, come on, you know, like, or something like that. I think you alluded to like in Spain and I know in like Brazil, it's kind of similar too, where, you know, in in a lot of different countries, right. It's kind of more of this, well, you know, they're, they're being this way and like, we're going to just say back to them, like, Oh, you don't, you don't have a shot, like never in your dreams, you know? And it's kind of this teasy playful thing. And I feel like we have a tendency in America to get so rigid and like evil, Nazi, devil, white supremacist. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just kind of play with what's going on here. And like you said, the deconstruction of all of these old models that are crumbling away that are no longer serving us. We need to dive into that. And you can totally just check out on the Bliss Express and go to, you know, power yoga and, you know, drink like cacao coffee. And you know what I mean? Like you can just totally check out and and just live in like sort of your own little bubble where you don't have to touch the nasty bits. But I think in order to save the world, yeah. we might have to dive into some of that and deconstruct it and then reconstruct it. Right.
1: Yeah, and even if it's not saving the world, I mean, I always people saving like, your world. Yeah, well, right, and like honestly, do I think I can really save the world? No, but I'm still gonna live a life where I'm like trying, <laughs> or you know, or like still doing, living the best, most authentic truth that I possibly can. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and I think I've also like experienced, like, as in so far as this whole like woman thing, you know, over the years, I was and I talk about this at length on my podcast my like sexuality and sexual expression was i think the one thread that like kept me real it was the one thing that i never really sacrificed it was the one thing that I always felt like clean and pure in a world that like wanted to make it dirty and um disgusting And I think it was that that really like catapulted me in this last sort of iteration of my life um, to sort of exit out of what was not authentic. But my point in bringing all of that up was, you know, it's been fascinating to me to see how over the years, especially in my 20s, and I see this amongst my friends as well, like I think this is a really unhealthy version of feminism where we think in order to be a powerful woman, we either have to hate men, but more importantly, we have to be more like men and i saw myself like i was really proud of my masculinity that's i would like yeah i'm a really masculine woman you know i'm this and that and then i had this thought of like maybe anya like you're not a masculine woman you're just like a woman but that version of a woman has been lost in this day and age you know and i would see myself like wearing more masculine clothes and acting you know honestly i think a lot of the rhetoric around the me too movement the reaction is very masculine it's like that's the problem not like hey let's sit down and talk about this which i think is a more sort of like traditionally feminine concept um and i that freaked me out (laughs) because i've always felt so much like a woman despite whatever masculinity i thought was well integrated um and i feel like that's what i'm in the process of doing now is like redefining what it means to be a woman and that it and if i'm you know I can be powerful like I said and smart and also sexy and um you know having a guy look at me and be like wow that's like a sexy woman is not inherently bad it's what we do with it or how we um what action someone decides to take you know like I was I was walking in a pizza place the other day and I had like a low-cut shirt on which is already a little frightening for me um which still sort of boggles my mind that it is but it is and I'm walking through this pizza restaurant and I'm trying my very best not to look any guy in the eye because I think if I'm wearing this like sexy outfit and I look a guy in the eye he's gonna think I want to fuck him or that he can come and pick me up you know and it's like that's a cultural thing right because in other in other cultures that's not what that means. That just means like, hey, I'm a sexy, empowered woman and I know it and I'm looking you in the eye because I'm not afraid and I'm powerful and that doesn't mean anything other than that. Or maybe it does. And cool, come over and ask me if I want to go out and it's either yes or no, but the no isn't angry, it's just no, you know. Um, So yeah, I've, I just think it's really interesting the ways that we view things and how we uh, look at, power uh through the lens of gender or sexuality or any of those things
0: yeah yeah That i mean that's i was talking with my girlfriend the other day about this like you know we were talking she she had mentioned well we live in a very sexually repressed time and i'm like yeah i guess i guess so i think that's true but i also think we also live in this weird Perverted and not perverted in the sense of like sexual perversion, but perverted in the sense of like distorted, distorted, like hypersexualized cultural uh images and values and you know, this kind of binary way of thinking where it's like you're either this or you're that or you're this or you're that. You know, Miley Cyrus will come out at the MTV movie awards wearing nothing and like nipple tassels and like humping some pink elephant or something like that, and it's this like hyper sexualized image and the movies and the music and the the porn consumption and what porn shows and how that's, you know, there, there's a, a difference between like having intimate sex with somebody and having porn sex or just watching porn. It's a different thing. And I think there's a confusion that happens. And there's, there's this weird, I'm, I want to get your thoughts on this because it's like, there's this kind of weird societally constructed you know monogamous get a house family kids that kind of like linear progression of the of the modern american lifestyle you know you don't just flash your tits out and, you don't, you know, sexual. Like the other day, actually we were on a hike and Jenna had like pantsed me on the hike and I think someone saw and they were like, oh, we don't know what's going on over here. Oh, we we might have to report you to the park police or something, (laughs) kind of joking. But we were just talking about this, like, what is it that's so like – but then we see like the number three most searched website is like YouPorn or whatever it is, Pornhub or something. And so it's like on one end you have this hyper sexualized thing and it creates a certain version of masculinity and femininity. And then we have this like really kind of like puritanical like taboo like, oh, don't show your your nipple like oh, we're afraid. I, I want to get your, your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. Well, that stuff has to go somewhere, right? Because we are sexual. Like one of my biggest pet peeves is when people like girls on Instagram will post like topless photos, but like, you know, blur out their nipples or whatever. And then it's taken off Instagram. And they're like, stop sexualizing my body. Like your body is sexual. Like, what, the hell, like what, is <laughs> right. a, what does sexualizing a body mean? Like, and if Instagram takes down my topless photo, I hope it's because it is sexual, not because they've like made a mistake.
0: Yeah. And why is that wrong?
1: Yeah. And so anyway, I think we relegate these things to other spaces. So it's like, well, if that porn sex can just exist there, then I don't have to deal with what that means if it's uh, integrated into my own life. And honestly, like, I think, like, have porn sex, like, (laughs) a lot of it's fine, you know, like, whatever you're into. And, And if we could, you know, I think that's where a lot of abuse takes place. Because, we are projecting it i think this is not just sex but anything right like we tend to project both our best and our worst qualities outward because we can't fucking integrate them in ourselves because it's challenging and it makes you think and it makes you different and it makes you unconventional and sometimes it makes you ostracized and um if you looked at any sort of like fundamentalist religion like take mormonism for example um you know, to think that like all Mormons are going to be these like squeaky clean humans and none of them are going to be gay or, you know, want to be like tied up or something is ridiculous. Like they're humans just like anybody else. So what happens when you can't express that authentically? Well, it gets pushed into a closet, it happens in secret, or it comes out in abuse and anger, um, because that's what happens when we aren't ourselves. Like that that's why we have, I think, the abuse in our right, world. Right, the
0: energy has to be directed somewhere, right? Right, exactly. Yeah.
1: Right. So I think what we're seeing are just manifestations of humanity, um, but they're happening outside of us instead of inside of us. And in, and the result of that is, I think, widespread trauma and abuse across the board, like under every category you can think of.
0: Right, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of heavy, right? When you look at it and you're like, oh my God, there's so much dirt under the rug. Like maybe if we just like pick the rug up and swept the dirt out, we could see like, Hey, look at all this dirt, but there's something in American culture where we're afraid to look at that. Like, what do you, why do you think that is?
1: Well, because I think it has to do with that deconstruction process. I mean, the fact is I, I'm reading a lot of, I'm really into mythology. Um, yeah, me too. And especially uh, looking at masculinity and femininity through the lens of a, uh, of uh, mythology. And I read recently this great book. It was like, I'm always going to forget the name. I don't know the order, but it's like Lover, Warrior. Oh, King, something. Warrior, King, Magician. Warrior. Yeah, yeah, I have it right <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> Great book. But he talks about how we, like the reason we have all this boy psychology or I also think girl psychology is because we don't have any sort of like initiatory ritual right like we don't have this process where people are becoming adults and so we have all these quote-unquote adults but they're really just children masquerading around in adult bodies so I think that's part of it is that we're not maturing and then I think the result of that is that we get all these older people that are super fucked up because they haven't been able to sort of like shed the bullshit of their childhood and the choices they couldn't make when they were too young and I think that's what we're seeing now at least in our generation is people having to sort of initiate themselves um, whether that's through psychedelics or through like intense grief I think that's how I experienced it or just travel or whatever it is like I'm gonna do this myself and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna grow up and you know, uh, yeah, so I, I think I totally lost my fucking train of thought. What was the well, question? <laughs> yeah, so,
0: like, the, you're talking about how, like, the, the dirt under the rug, and we have oh, to initiate, right. self-initiate. Right. Yeah.
1: So, you know, and I think we, like, as he talks about in this book, that required a community, and it required elders, and it required a structure in which to hold space for this person that was going through such a traumatic experience, because I think maturation is traumatic. We don't have those spaces and we don't have those elders. So you either do it by yourself and it's horrifying or you just don't do it, understandably, because it's scary and you don't know where to begin. So I think, you know, to look at what's under the rug is like for me to examine that my parents weren't these like perfect shiny specimens of a human. You know, and realize that like people who I held in such high esteem actually hurt me, albeit I recognize unintentionally they're dealing with their own trauma and their own crap. That was scary. And it, no matter what it is, like you're, I just interviewed someone on in the show, amazing guy who has raised more men, you know, and to realize that like the entire framework for your entire existence is bullshit. I can't imagine a more traumatic experience. Yeah, totally. It's
0: very psychologically heavy, you know, it's, it's, and I relate to this in terms of psychedelics because the, one of the first profound psychedelic experiences I had was like, Oh, this is all a construct. This is, and There's this great uh, movie or documentary by Slavov Zizek, where he talks about it's called The Pervert's Guide to Ideology. And he's breaking down this one scene in the movie They Live by John Carpenter, where Rowdy Roddy Piper Gets these glasses And when he puts The glasses on He sees the true Messages in society So the poster For like Take a vacation To the Bahamas And like a woman And a man Laying there And it says like Marry and reproduce Like when he puts The glasses on (laughs) Like obey You know And that's where The obey Kind of slogan Comes from And Mm. uh, the money It says like When he looks At the money With the glasses on It says This is your God And he tries To get a friend To put the glasses on He's like Put them on And they get get into like a 10 minute fight, like a fist fight because he doesn't want to put them on. Cause he's so comfortable in the lies in this constructed version of reality. He's invested so much in it that to go in a different direction can be, can be really difficult and really challenging. But maybe we kind of have to, or maybe there's certain people that are going through things like what you've went through to come out the other side that you can offer this and usher in sort of a new way because we might need that. Otherwise, we might fucking destroy ourselves because we have a president who's a man baby, who never went through a rite of passage, and he has a f- his finger on the you know the nuclear button, and we could just blow up tomorrow. Right? You know. So this is very important. I think. I think rites of passage are extremely important, and coming into your own power. You know, like accepting responsibility, not playing this victim role. We're all adults here, you know, and when we want to talk about equality between genders and stuff, it's like yes, let's let's be equals, like let's step into the equal w- woman power and the equal man power, not for you to be a man and not for me to be a woman, but to fully step into that power does that make sense yeah totally yeah
1: yeah i mean it's funny like i'll sometimes use the phrase separate but equal when i'm talking about the gender thing which i recognize is like super loaded and problematic but i think it's important you know i think honestly even in talking about race like obviously black people are black and we're white obviously you are identified at least as a man i'm a woman these things can coexist and be different but equal, right? They can be expressed differently. They, their value can be expressed differently, but there no one is better or worse than the other. Um, and I think that's really important, I, I even just individually, like, you know, in recognizing that you, that there is no one else like you and that your value is based on your own self, not anything, anybody else, or how you compare to anybody else or what society wants you to be. But yeah, I mean, and not only do we need to do that, but we need to support other people in doing it too, you know?
0: Totally. Yeah. Because we always forget and we need those like reminders. We need people to come over and remind us sometimes, sometimes, you know, like my girlfriend will say like, oh, it's a sign from the universe. And I'll I'll say that too, because it's like, okay, clearly we're being presented with a choice here. And there's an, there's a way that we can take this. There's a way that we can see this. What kind of what would you say to some some people, maybe some young women or just people in general like listening and, you know, maybe they can relate to your story and uh, you know, that want to kind of get involved and, and do sort of the things that you're doing, how to kind of navigate that space and what to maybe look out for or to keep in mind and, and that sort of thing.
1: I would say like find your community and if you can't find your community start one <laughs> because I think that's I think how a lot of this bullshit is perpetuated by making people feel like they're alone and making people feel like because you're different or whatever else that you know you have to conform so like I always joke I think it's everyone's like oh everyone has a podcast like I'm I'm happy everyone has a podcast like have a podcast if that means that like you get to create a community and with like-minded people in a society that is super isolated and tries to keep people separate and apart do it do whatever you need to do um have a voice it doesn't matter how many people are listening or if it's not a podcast start a meetup group you know like in finding people it's it's astonishing to me And I I always say, like, had I known I could have the life that I wanted and that there were other people that believed similar things to me and wanted similar things to me and wanted to live a life in the same realm that I did, I mean, had I known that in my early 20s, maybe I wouldn't have made the same decisions that I did out of fear and a lack of belonging, you know? Um, So I, I think that's vitally important is to find yourself reflected elsewhere and if you can't create the community yourself so start it and watch as people come to you like the podcast for me is super selfish in a lot of ways because it's like um hi i need some friends so we'll like give myself a public platform if you agree come talk to me let's hang out you know yeah um
0: yeah but that is what we need
1: yeah 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 so i think that like finding a community or starting it and being brutally fucking honest with yourself and doing the best you possibly can to, you know, one of my favorite things is like when you point your finger at someone, there are three fingers pointing back at you physically. <sighs> um, so when you find yourself doing that, that person's the problem. That's what I need to blame. That system, that structure, that person, that gender, that race, that anything like reflect back on yourself. How are you going to take initiative and take your power back and change whatever it is you think is the problem? Because right. you can't, like you can't ever change anybody. Like I know we've all tried, you know, in relationships or whatever else. We think we can yell at someone until they'll figure it out, but it never works. They have to come upon it themselves, right? So it's just a waste of time. So instead of wasting your time trying to get other things and people to change, just like, do your, do you live the life you want to live and watch, watch how I think, you know, hopefully systems, uh, disintegrate around you. But if not, like you just are an example to someone else that now feels safe enough to spend time with you and go through a similar process.
0: Right. Yes. I can agree more. And, and you know, like, this brings us back to, like, the nuanced approach, too, because on, on this podcast, if you look at, like, my description, I what I wrote was, you know, we must look inward to heal ourselves first, uh, but also recognize the external challenges as well. So what you're – correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're not saying is just it's all you go in and just – you know, because I've encountered people like this where – you know maybe more in like sort of the Buddhist community or whatever it's all about the inner work it's all inner just you know and I think Ram Dass says like anybody can be you know uh, at peace if they're in an ashram in India try spending a weekend with your parents so it's like Getting into ourselves, checking with ourselves, and then, like, measuring that with the external world and seeing how we can kind of plug back in, maybe, and 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 stay in that power and stay in that integrity, right? Because there are external challenges, there are systems, there are structures that we can't take on, uh, you know, obviously... Like, yeah. I'm not going to, like, say something on this podcast then tomorrow the federal government will be, like, dismantled. But and, like, wouldn't
1: that be great? <laughs> well, yeah.
0: But, like, hopefully <laughs> yeah. that yeah. there could be this kind of group collective thing. So I'm wondering, yeah. like, as we're heading towards wrapping, like, we've been talking about your personal journey and doing the inner work and these challenges. What do you see as, as some of the external challenges we face? I know yesterday you were talking about something really fascinating about – um the, the beyond burger and this whole problem with the, the carbon emissions and, and things. I, I think you, you put it better, but there are these things. There are a lot of, what do you see as kind of like the big kind of challenges of the moment that we face externally that maybe if we do get in touch with ourselves, go to those dark parts, heal ourselves that we can then walk into the world with this strong kind of like warrior approach to handle the real f- challenges that we face
1: yeah yeah well and, and I agree I don't think it's just inner work although maybe that's somebody's journey it doesn't feel like mine although I think part of what I try and explain is if if we try to go out in the world to fix things before we've dealt with our own shit it's like as we see over and over and over again, therapists, people who like lead, are decide their shamans, astrology teachers, all these people that have taken these, and even less formally, but like these healer roles often are extremely narcissistic and are, again, sort of just projecting their problems out into the world, onto their clients, onto their followers, whatever. Um, so I knew for me, if I was going to have this podcast and be like a quote unquote leader of any kind, that I was going to have to walk the talk and I wasn't going to go out there and be a savior before I saved myself. Um, so that that's where I think the inner work comes in, is that if you want to do any of that type of work in the world, you have to do it yourself first. And you can be in process with that, but you have to be continually committed. Um, and in terms of like what I think we need to do, I mean, everything. <laughs> I think on my podcast, I sort of selfishly focus on issues that I think are really important and things I have experience in. Um, Yeah, which are? So it's definitely gender and sexuality. I talk a lot about grief. I talk about regenerative agriculture, which I think most people think is like factory made meat. And for me, it's putting animals back on the land because the way ecology works naturally sequesters carbon from the atmosphere. Like the world and the planet like works well where we don't need to uh, try and like create industrialized factories that are making you know soy based bullshit products like that's not going to help um uh yeah so regenerative agriculture I talk about childhood trauma a lot um colonialism uh race um yeah those I think that probably it's a lot of gender and sexuality stuff because I just think like we are sexual creatures and that kind of like looking at what people think are perversions not just sexual but otherwise is a really unique way to look at things um so yeah i just try and like hit off on like every taboo i, I basically can um and uh I, yeah i was politically incorrect as, as i can yeah imagine. just to
0: have like a real open and raw honest conversation about it yeah like so yeah I,
1: I try to find space outside the conventional black and white narrative on all of these issues
0: Right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, So if you guys want to learn more, go to a millennial's guide to saving the world on Apple podcasts and everywhere podcasts are found anywhere else where people should go.
1: Um, no, that's basically it. You could follow me on Instagram. It's just Anya.Kates. Um, I post a bunch of pretty pictures on there. (laughs) Cool. But yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Check out the podcast.
0: What, uh, what are you doing? right now what's going on for you right now what 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 are you like getting into learning about
1: yeah oh good question talking about? um i yeah reading a lot about um gender through the lens of mythology i'm really like my like small goal in the world is to fix the patriarchy problem. What, and- <laughs> what is it about mythology
0: that, that you're so <laughs> yeah. attracted to because I'm attracted to it too. And yeah. I, I like to hear what you, think. um,
1: stories. I yeah. think we understand ourselves and I think we are stories, if that makes sense. Um, and I want to write, uh, books. And so I want to write books that are tapping into ancient stories, uh, and the collective unconscious, because I think that's the way we learn about things. I, During this whole period, did a little stint in astrology, which I found a lot of issues with structurally, mostly. Um, But what I found really useful was to, like, see myself and my patterns through the lens of stories. Um, So basically, like, all of astrology can be traced back to mythology. Um, And so when it comes to solving big issues in the world and dealing with, like, complex personality patterns... Um, it's really, really helpful to me to look at these like ancient, relatively like basic stories about how people act and where their desires or their fears are coming from and apply those stories to what's happening in our world, both personally and collectively. Um, so I don't think the conventional um, way at looking at patriarchy is is where we need to go um and so i'm very inclined to delve into mythology to like figure that out um in a way that is again like stripped of culture and right is, yeah is just like very human i think
0: yeah human because i mean look like we have a tendency i think to look at these stories and go oh they're just old stories or whatever but clearly if they've lasted this long and they've gotten this far it's like passing this baton with a scroll on it where everybody's writing their part. Yeah. And I think maybe it's time for us to write our part because Joseph Campbell talks about this, these cultures of the past, they had their, their stories, they had their mythology for their time and place. And now, you know, Danielli Bolelli wrote a great book, um, Create Your Own Religion, where he's talking about let's take the good bits from all these places and apply it to today where Campbell says we're living in this sort of like cesspool or I think he says wasteland because we have no story of our time and the story that we need is a global story because we are connected now with the internet and with everything. I mean we're people that are listening to this podcast are in Iran and Pakistan and you know all over the place – all over the world. Shout out to all of you people all over the world who are listening to this. It's amazing. And we do, I think, realize that we are all the same and we are all different. And that's what the mythology says. And if we can apply it to this time, then we maybe we can create something that can help inform us to move on to a more healthy, more truthful, and more productive and prosperous uh, future.
1: Yeah, and just be like way more empathetic to each other's experience because mm, yeah, it's... <laughs> Really just like regurgitation of the same stories playing out in different ways. And that's, I think that's inspiring and beautiful. Um, Yeah, and certainly frightening, but cool. I'm just like, I like it. I like the dark, shadowy places. (laughs) Me too. Yeah,
0: and and I feel like we have to go there. Yeah. If we're to really understand the full capacity of the human story and our place in it. We need to know like the nasty bits that maybe we don't want to know. And, you know, some people are capable of doing that and some people aren't. And maybe some people are capable of just being followers to that message. And that's cool, too. We need you no matter what you're doing. Okay, we're going to we're going to wrap up and I really appreciate your time. This has been a fantastic conversation and I, I hope to do it again I, I'm just thinking in my mind right now, just because of like what we were saying, and I don't know what it is. Maybe the debates are going on. If you were running for president, oh, man. <laughs> and you had like, you know, you're on CNN, and Anya Kate's like, hey, welcome to CNN. Your what's your presidential platform? Like, I'm wondering what that would be, just because you have such an interesting background and unique perspectives on things, and you're interested in these dark places and the mythology and gender and you know the the constructs in which we operate in now. What would be like? Your pitch, I guess, to your you know your presidential platform. Like, what do you want to say to the world?
1: Revolution! You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tear down the government. Take it to the streets, <laughs> people. We can't fix it. We have to start over. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd make a very good presidential candidate. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I, I think we need to.
0: Yeah, s- the non PC presidential candidate. Give yeah. us the truth, Anya. yeah. Give us the truth.
1: Yeah, it's the same sort of deconstruction, right? I think we're um we're due for a pretty harsh examination of what this country was founded on and I honestly think until we are honest in that and I'm not sure what we need to do to tear it down and start again. I think that process or that, I think that's going to happen.
0: So you, th- you think this is okay. Cause I'm with you on this. <laughs> you think this is inevitable, right? It's almost like if you're like, if you're living a lie or if you've done something and you know, whatever it is, you have this like baggage, it's going to come up eventually. Right. right. And the longer that you put it off and the longer that you bury it and the more lies that you put on top of it, It's going to erupt. It's going to burst one way or another. So we're either going to go that direction or we're going to realize like, hey, maybe we should take care of this, right?
1: Yeah, and and look, I wouldn't be surprised if everything blows up at once. So some terrible environmental situation occurs simultaneous to some asshole like releasing biological warfare and the government can't operate and all of a sudden we're alone and like need to get like... I think a lot. I, my guess, very uneducated, but would be that like everything explodes all at once, and we have no choice but to figure our shit out. Um, Boom!
0: Perfect time yeah. to. Answer my
1: <laughs> so no, vote on. for me <laughs> in the next election, <laughs> and you'll probably die, but you can't control it anyway.
0: <laughs> vote for me. Everyone's gonna die. Yay! Well. Yeah, I and I don't – was there something else that you wanted to nope, say? No, no, okay, that, cool. that was pretty much Well, it. Anya, I, I completely agree with you. And I think, yeah, people listening out there, let's come together, form groups, listen, listen to Anya's podcast, follow her on social media get together, reach out, message her and let's all come together because when the shit does hit the fan, maybe we could have some kind of cool decentralized voluntary gr- little groups of communities and tribes yeah. that are ready and waiting and saying, "Hey, we're here. We got we got the tools, we got the knowledge, we got the internet, we can research, we can learn about whatever we want." Let's start preparing to to take over and create models that will be self-sustaining and and you know, will will be healthy that will sort of make these old crumbling ones obsolete so that people can move into a new space and that container's formed and it's there. And you have your community and your tribe and I have mine and you know other people have theirs. And we can form this kind of new... Yeah, let's let's form a new constitutional Congress. You know, I mean, it might <laughs> happen. About it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank thanks again so much, Anya Kates, uh, a millennials guide to saving the world. Go check it out. She's got fascinating conversations on there uh, with all kinds of different people. You heard, you know, the the getting into the taboos, exploring the nuance, the gray area. Go check that out. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Thanks again for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Mike. This was awesome.
0: Peace. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Hope you guys like these podcasts and enjoy them. And if you do, please spread the podcast, share it, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker, tell a friend, tell a cat, tell a mouse, tell a dog, tell an ant, tell a firefly, tell whoever you tell, share it, spread it, like it, all that good stuff. If you if you really love the show, you want to go a step further, you really want to help us out, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts um, and go to patreon.com. Patreon slash Mike Brank and um, patreon.com slash Mike Brank. And you can donate as little as a dollar a month, $2 a month, whatever you want. Help support the show that way as well. But remember, I love you guys, no matter what you do. I just love that you tune in and you enjoy these podcasts. Message me. I like hearing feedback. Get in touch with me on Instagram, Mikeadelic podcast, Mike Brank on Facebook as well. And um, thanks to our sponsors, Synchro and Hemp Bombs. If you want to, a discount on ketogenic and plant-based nutrition products go to synchro and type in the code uh mycadelic at checkout to get 20% off and they have amazing ketogenic chocolate fudge called keto mana that i have all the time because it's it has like no sugar and carbs in it so it's great and um and it's delicious and if you want CBD uh go to hempbombs.com and get 15% off all your CBD needs i guess and uh Just enter the code Mike15 at checkout. But thank you once again to everybody. Thanks to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro, and the outro. I love you all. Peace.